We're uh, looking at what the church has historically called the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in our Bibles in Matthew 5 to 7. It's a sermon preached by Jesus, and I'll say it again and again, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. It's preached on his favorite theme or topic, which is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is exactly what it says it is. It's heaven. It's, it's the realm of heaven that breaks into earth, making our space heaven. Um, it, it, it's all the things that, that God and his rule, his, his kingdom, his king does when he breaks in. It, he, he, he renews, he redeems, he restores, rescues, reconciles, resurrects, all those incredible realities. Things that I hope you and I are desperate for, hungry for. And, and, and this is why uh, when the Bible says Jesus went into all the villages, all of Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, it's not just kingdom, but it's gospel. It's because it's the most exciting thing going on right now is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Sermon on the Mount as I said, it's about the kingdom of heaven. It it flushes out specifically where heaven is breaking in and where heaven is breaking out. It's breaking in and out of a people, disciples of Jesus, people who park their life behind Christ because they want to become like him. Again, our theme verse, if anyone claims to be in Christ, he or she must walk as Jesus walked. I think it's important for us to know that Jesus did not just come to the world to save us. He came to the world to sanctify us. Sanctify means simply to be set apart for the sake of the world. And when you look at the narrative, when you look at the Old Testament story, Jesus didn't just save or rescue a people from Egypt. It didn't stop there. He led them to a mountain where he made this people his own so he could give him his Torah his, his instruction to teach them how to be like God so they could be a light to the nations set apart for the sake of the world. Matthew 5, verse 1, how this whole thing starts. Jesus went up a mountain with his disciples. Um, he's, he's giving them God's instructions, his Torah, to teach them how to be like their heavenly father. Why? So they, we, can be a light to the nations, set apart for the sake of the world. And think about the kind of people that God calls us to be, Jesus calls us to be in chapter five alone. We're to be a people who are pure, true, authentic, consistent, full of integrity, oozing selfless love, all of which emanates from our hearts and spills out through the fabric of our lives to everyone, even our worst enemies. And people say, wow, if people actually live this way, our world would be heaven. That's exactly the point. This is how we bring heaven to earth. Today, let's go to our Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. 
If you have a Bible like mine, it's found on page 787. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. The words of Jesus, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. The word literally there is praised, to be praised, to be praised by men. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you give to the needy, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. The word for babbling and many words is just basically these nonsensical utterances, which is what the the mystery religions of the Greeks and the Romans were about. Somehow we can just get the gods to hear us. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. We looked at this this summer. Let's pray this. Aloud, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We could just hear this and live it. We could go home right now. This is God's word. You can be seated. So I want us to see, because all these chapter Numbers and verses, verse numbers and, and, and headings were, were all added to our Bible. <laughs> Sometimes I think it would be easier to read it if we didn't have all of that. Because when you look at the verse preceding this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus comes right out of that saying, be careful. <laughs> be careful in this. In fact, that word there is stronger in the original language. It's beware, it's be on your guard, it's danger, there's danger. Why? 
Like, who says this? Well, the pursuit of righteousness and learning to walk like, like Jesus is inherent with great danger. And I think we can see this in a group of people during Jesus' day, the Pharisees. I mean, their whole life was consumed with the pursuit of righteousness. They pursued righteousness the way many of us pursue the American dream. And there were three dominant practices that marked the Pharisees' righteous pursuit. The first, at the top of the list, social justice. The Pharisees were committed to the poor. They went above and beyond the tithe. They gave huge chunks of their resources, their lives, and committed it to the needy. The second uh, practice was prayer. Pharisees were known to spend hours every single day in prayer. And the third practice was fasting, denying the body food. The Pharisees uh, fasted two days a week, every Monday and Thursday, because according to their tradition, these were the days when Moses walked up to Mount Sinai and stood in the presence of God. Now, their fast was namely from food, but sometimes it included the denial of other pleasures. Uh, It would involve no bathing or, or taking a shower. Sometimes they would even wear sackcloth. They'd even sometimes apply dirt to their head, ash to their face, all the things that the ancients did when they repented of sin. Now, why these three practices? Well, the Pharisees believed that these were the most tangible ways that a person could live out Shema, of loving God with all our heart, all our soul, and all of our might, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, which to them was the greatest commandment. Now remember, prayer is their word for worship. And so an essential to to loving God with with all of our heart, and you could even say all of our life, our our soul, with everything that we have, it's gonna be manifested through prayer. Fasting to them was their form of repentance. It was done so that a person could feel the depth of their sin and their brokenness before God and to say, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner, for their body to feel this huge dependence on God. Because a Pharisee believed that to truly love God with everything that we are, all of life would be about repentance. We would be always turning from other loves and other things and the stuff of this world and continually returning to God with our whole heart. And giving to the poor. I mean, this was just so foundational to righteousness. Uh, it, it, it's how we, we love our neighbor as ourself. In fact, the Hebrew word for, for righteous or righteousness is tzedek or tzedakah, which means justice. Um, most literally, that word means to disadvantage oneself, to bring advantage to another. Now listen, I don't want to limit these practices to the Pharisees, because 
any devoted Jew in Jesus' day uh, was committed to these three practices, but the Pharisees' devotion to these things was just unmatched. Their whole life was consumed with these acts of righteousness. And we're so quick to rip the Pharisees, but I want us to see how seriously they took the pursuit of God, the pursuit of righteousness. I mean, do you know anyone like this? Do you know anyone who spends hours a day praying, who fasts two days a week, who gives lots of their resources away to the poor? How much do you pray? How much do you give? How often do you fast? I mean, I can confidently say in all these areas, not nearly enough. I also want us to see that Jesus is no way critiquing these practices. Not even close. I mean, all you have to do is is take a quick look at Jesus' life, and, and you see that in terms of giving, Jesus didn't just tithe. He literally tithed his life. He gave his whole life for those in need. His prayer life. I mean, how many times do you read in the Gospels where it says something to the effect that Jesus got up early in the morning and went up to a high mountain to pray? Or Jesus spent the whole night in prayer? He's praying all the time. Fasting. We know of at least one fast. It was a 40-dayer, literally, in the desert. No food, no water. Which is why Jesus says... When you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast, he is assuming these things in the life of a Christ follower. These are to be part of the regular rhythms of our lives. And again, are they? good question to come to a text like that and ask that question. But as we step into these pursuits, Jesus' first word is beware. There is danger in pursuing these things. Because it can quickly, without us hardly even knowing, become the most self-serving, self-exalting, self-promoting, thing there is. Look at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others. To be seen by them. To be seen by them. Jesus just said a few verses earlier, he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. And what? Praise God. See, this is why you have to put verse 1 with verse 2, because verse 2 says, so that when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be, literally the word there, to be praised, to be praised, to be praised by people. The Pharisees pursued righteousness so that people would praise them. 
They did this with doing justice, verses one and two. Uh, look at verse five. They, they did this with prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen. To be seen by others. They did this with, with fasting, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. <laughs> That's almost comical. Not what Jesus said, but what people are doing. What's underneath all this? Pride. Pride ran deep in the Pharisees. Do you know that our worst sins are oftentimes underneath our best behaviors? No one's going to look at a drunk and praise him. But you give lots of your money to the poor and you have a reputation for prayer and pursuing righteousness. People praise that. This is why you ought to read Matthew 23. Uh, this is just days before Jesus will hang on a cross uh, in Matthew 23, Jesus literally indicts the Pharisees with this whole litany of, of, of woes. Woe to you, Pharisee. The word woe doesn't really uh, have any sting in our, in our English language. It's a, it's a terrible translation because the Bible can't really translate that word because you'd have a swear word. What Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees is, damn you guys. Damn you. And at the heart of this whole litany of things that, that he lists off, um, in the heart of it, his rebuke, he says, you do everything to be seen by men. And then he caps this off with, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, in other words, what Jesus is saying here is the Pharisees want people to see their righteous acts for the sole purpose of self-exaltation. Think about this. The worship of God is actually done for self-worship. I mean, this is some really scary stuff that we're, we're, we're pressing into right now. Because it, it's one thing to exalt myself through a talent I might have or an achievement or, or, or something that I possess that I can then use for the purpose of self-exaltation or self-worship. But it's another thing to take the very thing that's intended to exalt God and to use that thing to rob God of his glory for our own glory. That's not just perverse. That's satanic. Because this is exactly what Satan does. This is who Satan is. This is why Satan exists. 
It is to rob God of his glory so that he can get the glory. And this is why Jesus ends this rebuke in Matthew 23 by calling the Pharisees snakes and the offspring of vipers. And it's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, why our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, or we will never enter his kingdom. What Jesus wants his disciples to see is this inherent danger in the pursuit of righteousness, helping the poor, prayer, fasting, or whatever else falls in that bucket of of the pursuit of righteousness. And especially when we do this in public places where we're seen, where where we can be heard, where we can hear praises. Let's just start with the first one, social justice. Why do you do justice? Why do you help people? Why, why, do you, why do you give? Why do you spend yourself on behalf of the needy? And why do you feel this need to tell people about it? To let them know what you do. Why, why do you blog about it? Why do you put it all over your Facebook page? You know, uh, there's been a whole new term that's been added to our vocabulary in the, in the last couple of years to describe this phenomenon that's taking place today in the area of social justice. What's it called? Can I have the PowerPoint? Virtue signaling. If you don't know this word, come on, you gotta get with the times a little bit. <laughs> this is what it is. It's the action or practice publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. It's pontificating, it's preaching, it's, it's grandstanding, it's, it's telling everybody how they should think and what they need to do because you're doing it, but you're only telling them that to exalt yourself and to put other people down. No amens to that, but I know you know it's what I'm talking about and that it's going on today. Um, listen, I'm not saying that there's not a time to talk, to tell, to inform, to communicate, but how quickly can this turn into us just sounding the trumpet? Look at me. This is why we need to dig deep. We need to look beyond just our behaviors. We need to see what's underneath this need for us to sound the trumpet. Could it be self-exaltation? Which in this area is oftentimes rooted in guilt, to appease our guilt. Do you see that when we do this, we are actually just using the poor to exalt ourselves? We're using them, we're using them. We're actually exploiting them for personal gain. This is why all this social justice noise today, in fact, we have another term, social justice warrior. If you wanna know who the Pharisees of our day are, it's social justice warriors. Listen to Jesus. When you give, your left hand shouldn't even know what the right hand is doing. You talk about being anonymous. And not just being anonymous to the person that you're serving, but anonymous to your own self. 
where you're not even thinking about yourself. I love what C.S. Lewis says about true humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not even thinking about yourself. It's forgetting about yourself entirely. There are many ways to be self-absorbed. I can be self-absorbed as a greedy, materialistic, godless pagan, or I can be self-absorbed as a godly person pursuing righteousness. And this is precisely Jesus' warning. We don't do justice. We don't give because of guilt or because we see ourselves as privileged. We give because we genuinely see ourselves as poor. We are poor. And in our poverty, we see Christ who left the riches of heaven and became the poorest of the poor to make us who are poor rich in him. And it's not guilt then, but it's love. It is the love of Christ that we know. As one person said, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. What about fasting? Well, in Jesus' day, everybody could look around and see who was fasting. They wore it. You would just see someone walking around who is unkept, unwashed, dressed in rags, maybe dirt on head, ash on face. Um, and, and do you see then, as you're doing this publicly and people know about it, how, how quickly this can move from being broken before God to a means to make myself important. Praised. Why do we fast? When I was first introduced to fasting, it was introduced to me that if I did this long enough with the right intensity and did it the right way, that I could somehow just like pry God's hand open to get the things that I want. That's a far cry from a biblical fast. A biblical fast is for the purpose of repentance. And repentance begins when we are profoundly broken over our sin. And in this brokenness, we we turn from it and we passionately return to God. And you see what a fast does then when we repent. It's, it's as I deny my body food, I'm actually saying to God and to my soul that my starving body does not long for food, that my body longs for you, God. As I starve myself of the pleasures of this world, I'm saying to myself, I am saying to God, my thirsty soul thirsts for you. And Jesus says, when you fast, when you repent, look your best. Don't even let anyone detect in any way what you're doing because you're not doing this for an audience. You are doing this solely 
for God. And what about prayer? I, I, I want to start with this. Do we know what a precious gift prayer is? I mean, it's, it's precious to think that right now you can stop whatever you're doing and you can talk to God and he listens to us. He hears us. He responds to us. And it says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That's why they prayed. I mean, they took this precious, precious gift and they just used it to be seen so they could be praised, which is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, hypocrite in Jesus' day is a technical term uh, because during that historical period, the Greeks and the Romans, when they took over that part of the world, they put theaters in every town and city. And, and a hypocrite is just a technical term for a stage performer, an actor, or an actress. That's what a hypocrite meant in that day. So Jesus is calling them actors, not because this whole thing is a charade, because I actually think they're giving, their fasting, and their prayer is real. I think they think it's real. But it's because they've made it all about the stage. They've made the whole thing about the stage where they can be seen and heard. Just like the hypocrites in the theater. This is a dangerous thing in the church, the stage. Do you know that? The moment we reduce this to a Sunday morning, stage, audience, game over. It's game over. It's why there's a big part of me, whenever I say that, Libby says, well, what part of you? <laughs> uh, well, there's a big part of me that hates the stage. I hate it. Every time I walk up here, I know I am entering a danger zone. If I could be anywhere right now, I'd be in one of the back rows of this church. Love the back row. <laughs> yeah. I see you guys back there. You love the back row too. I know you do. Because that's where I want to sit. <laughs> I say to myself and anyone who comes up here, please don't take yourself too seriously. I mean, it's almost a joke that God would do anything through anyone. But this is no joke, and God is no joke, so take him incredibly seriously. And I just, man, this just moved me this week as I reflected on our church. I love the fact that this church allows for me to just be like you and to just be a guy 
uh, somebody who has the same struggles, the same failures, the same everything. I know that. You know that. My kids know that. I mean, the running joke in, 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 our, in our household has nothing to do with Rod the pastor. It's, ah, <laughs> oh, Rod just pulled another Michael Scott moment. Of course, you have to know the office to know that, but... Uh, can't become that church. We have to fight. But we all have a platform. Shakespeare famously said, he said, the whole world is a stage with its exits and entrances, and everyone in his time plays many parts. And he's so right in this. The whole world is a stage. We all have a public life, a public platform, where we live out our faith in front of other people. And then when you add to this that we live in a world of Hollywood and, and sports and then all the social mediums that, that, that we can use to be seen and to be heard. And, and then add to this that we live in a culture that is obsessed. It's literally obsessed with celebrity that it screams at us that you aren't anybody unless you're known or followed or liked or viewed and then praised. I mean, that's the world we live in. Which is why so many people's worth and value today is tied up to something as trivial as, as likes and hits and followers. And then do you see how quickly the pursuit of God in his righteousness can quickly become an, a, another means to all of this of being liked, of being followed, viewed, praised. And as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. The Pharisee is not just in our text. It's in all of us. Why do you think the church has such a reputation today for, for being nothing but a bunch of hypocrites? It's because we can all be hypocrites. We are all hypocrites to some degree or level. And all of this comes back to one simple question, why? Why do I pray? Why do I do acts of justice? Why do I fast? You know what? You can't answer that for me and I can't answer that for you. Only I can answer that for me. But God knows. He knows why. And the questions that Jesus in this text is asking us to ask of our very own hearts. In my pursuit of God, how much of that is private? How much of that is public? And then is there consistency between my private expressions and my public expressions? Or do I become someone very different? in public than what I am in private. That'll be the first mark to if we're hypocrites. The second question Jesus would ask is, can I be anonymous in this? Because guess what? Take giving. People don't need to know. In fact, if you're the recipient of, of a gift from someone else, People don't even want to know who gave it to them. So why do you feel the need to put your name on it? 
There's a great parable told of a rabbi. He was a rabbi of a small congregation where he just knew everybody. He, he loved the people with all his heart, and um, he, he'd make these home visits regularly. And he was making a home visit to this couple who had been married for a very long time uh, but couldn't have kids, and, and, and the wife in tears, just said, Rabbi, Rabbi, would you just please pray for me? Would you pray to God that he would give me a child? And the rabbi hugged her and said, oh, for sure. And he went home that day, and he just got on his knees, and he just begged God with all his heart, God, please, would you please give her a child? In that moment, God spoke to him and said, Rabbi, go tell her that she will have a child. And the rabbi literally got up and ran to her house and knocked on the door and she let him in and she said, God just told me that one year from now, you will have a child. And she just burst into tears. And the rabbi went home and as he was walking home, God spoke to him and said, Rabbi, I told you that she would have a child, but I did not tell her when. She said, because you said that, she will have a child one year from now. But you will not be able to enter the age to come. And the rabbi just paused. And all of a sudden, tears came to his eyes. And he began to dance. He was filled with joy. His disciples were like, why are you happy, rabbi? He said, because my whole life, I loved God and pursued that with, with all my heart, soul, and strength of my neighbor as myself so I could enter the age to come. But now I get to love him with everything I am just because I love him. Terrible theology. <laughs> but it makes a great point. And this is why Jesus over and over again is pointing them to their true reward. Their true reward is not the praise of people. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your reward. It's not going to be fame, money, success, not even the ways that I bless you. I am your reward. And Jesus is constantly pointing them back to their ultimate reward, not just God, but God is our Father who loves us, adores us, cherishes us, who gives us absolutely everything to get us. And whether we know this or not, our hearts have been made to crave our Father and to to know the love of this Father. I mean, think about the moment we came into this world. We all had this innate longing for dad, someone who would perfectly love us and cherish us and protect us. And Jesus is saying, we have that. We have that in God, who is our father. Everything that our hearts crave, everything that we need. And all this craving for celebrity and likes and followers and the praise of people, it's only going to leave us wanting. It's never going to satisfy. But he will.
our souls are restless until they rest in him, our father's love. And he is the father on the porch waiting for us to return. So let's repent. We love you, God. Search our hearts. Know us. Test us. And cause our hearts to be filled with the thing that our hearts crave. And that is the love of our Heavenly Father.